Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I would read it and be like, oh, yeah, I totally remember. Oh, it's coming back to me, and I'll figure out the ending. I could not <laughs> remember anything. Hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 133. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I have big news. My new 2018 summer reading guide is now live on my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy. This is my personal hand-curated collection of 25 of my favorite reads for the season to come. I've read and loved every one, and I tell you what you need to know so you can decide which books are right for your summer reading list. Get the guide at modernmrsdarcy.com slash SRG for summer reading guide. That's modernmrsdarcy.com slash SRG. This week's guest, Sachi Argabright, has discovered a rich vein of books by Asian-American authors who inspire her, and it's given her reading life wings. This week, I'm topping up her list with unique and soon-to-be-released titles so she can stay in that heavy place for a long time to come. I was so excited about Sachi's reading goals that I heaped even more titles than usual on her to-be-read list, and some of them happen to be titles from my newly-released summer reading guide. We also discuss travel, reading goals, book organization, and even... Briefly, the opera. Let's get to it. Sachi, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thanks for having me. So, Sachi, when you sent in your submission form, and that was from our call to listeners at what should I read next podcast.com slash guest, you told me a little bit about yourself. Care to tell our listeners too? I'm half Japanese. I'm Japanese American living in Northeast Ohio, so in the Midwest. I really, really love reading more about Asian American writers and characters just because I can really relate to them. I grew up in Northeast Ohio area, moved out to San Francisco for a time. I mainly reside here and every couple years we go back to Japan to visit family. My whole mother's side still lives there in the Tokyo area. For those of us who've never been to Japan, what are three things we really need to know about what it's like to visit there? 
Oh my goodness. I have so many things I could say, but if I had to narrow it down to three, what I would say is the people there are incredible. They're just so, so polite. Every time you go to a restaurant, they give you the most polite, some, some of them in the metropolitan areas, they'll, they'll speak English too. They'll know right when you walk in the door that, you know, you're from America or something. <laughs> just so polite. A lot of the menus even have pictures. So they know for people who are tourists, if you can't read the language, you can just point to whatever looks most delicious to you and they'll bring it to you. The second thing is it's extremely clean there, which might sound very strange, but literally anywhere you go, it is immaculate. You'll, you'll go to the train station and you'll see these people that are just like constantly sweeping. There's always just like someone sweeping the stairs or sweeping like the platform. When you travel, even though it's immaculately clean, there's no trash receptacles anywhere, which it sounds crazy to an American where you're like, I want to be able to conveniently throw my waste away anywhere. <laughs> to them, they believe that throwing your trash, even if it's in a public area is disrespectful to the person owning that property. So whenever you carry snacks for a long trip or whatever, you keep a separate like plastic bag in your purse or your book bag so you can throw it away when you get home versus throwing it away in public, which is very interesting, but it's still immaculately clean because everyone's very respectful and can't imagine throwing their waste anywhere else but home. The third thing I would say is it's very easy to navigate nowadays uh, with the technology. We have like smartphones and such. A lot of the time I say, oh, you know, I'm going back to Japan to visit family. And the first thing people say is, oh gosh, I'd love to visit Japan, but I don't speak the language. And I say, you know, that's okay <laughs> um, because Google Maps has gotten so advanced and the GPS um, system and smartphones have been so advanced. You can just get like a pocket Wi-Fi device and just be on your Wi-Fi and you can literally type in, okay, I'm in Osaka station and I want to go to Osaka castle. You can type in Osaka castle and it'll give you turn by turn directions for walking distances or for train. You can, it'll tell you exactly what platform you go off of. It'll trap the stops. You can kind of see the line and see, okay, I'm on this stop. I'm getting to go two stops more to get off. You can pretty much make it around on your own without having to read all the really intense kanji signs that have a little bit of English, but not the best translation. So those are kind of the three main things I would say for someone traveling or interested in traveling in Japan. Okay. So don't be afraid. Just go. You can figure it out. Dive in. And it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful country. The food there is outstanding. I love the food because I've grown up with it, but the food there is really, really great. And there's just so much that the country has to offer. So... Saji, I know that something that you are really looking for in your reading life is to find more books by Asian American authors, to find books that relate to Asian American life, the culture, yep. the issues. Has this been a longstanding interest of yours or is this a new thing that's been inspired by your visits? The way my reading life, I guess, has evolved over the past couple of years is that I've always just been a really avid reader since childhood, kind of a tangent, but my sister and I really loved a book fair growing up, like the scholastic book fair that would come to our school. We would get the catalog the like week before or whatever. We'd circle like everything and my mom would be like, how am I going to spend all, <laughs> how am I gonna afford all these books for my children who are obsessed with reading? But as I grew up and had to do like required reading for school and as like high school and college became more cumbersome, I only really pleasure during summer and Christmas breaks. But now that I'm full time and just working, I have more time to pleasure read. And so in the last, I would say maybe two years, I've just become way more focused on, you know, reading as, you know, I want to get at least one or two hours in every day. And I want to focus my reading on instead of just a specific genre, I was very much a mystery thriller only type reader. I was like, I want to expand my reading selection 
fiction. I read a lot of contemporary fiction now mostly, but I want to read all kinds of different genres and such. And the more I started researching and hearing more just like from podcasts and your your blog has been super helpful to find recommendations. Um, there's just a lot of books written by Asian Americans that I never really realized before. And I was never really focused on the author. I was always focused on the content, but I realized that I was reading just a lot of white male authors. And I was like, I should be reading books for people that I can really relate to is the people that are Asians like I am. And so first book I think I uh, discovered was Celeste Ng's book, Little Fires Everywhere. Wow. So you really dove right in. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, they said this, there's this new book coming out. It's set in Northeast Ohio where I'm from. And like, it was written by this Chinese American woman. I said, you know, I, I got to read that. And I read it and I related so much to the story that I said, you know, I need to read anything I can get my hands on written by an Asian American author. So I've just dove in. And in the past, I think even in the past couple months, I think going back from, I think October, I've read like 18 different books, either about Asian Americans or uh, written by Asian people. And it's been really eye-opening. I just, I really enjoy it and can really relate to the experiences, which is really valuable to me. So I've been trying to get more, my hands on more of those. <laughs> and by jumping right in, I mean, like that is not a lightweight book, but I, I loved it. I'm so glad you did too, because the way you're describing it sounds perfect for you because it's got that mystery element too, yes. but it's super literary. And I love that it's told by multiple points of view. I love stories written in the form of different people looking at the same situation. Mm -hmm. So both of her books, after I read Little Fires, I was like, I have to read everything I never told you because I fell in love with her writing style. And I really wanted to support an author you know, who's not only Asian American, but is from my area. She grew up in Shaker Heights where Little Fires Everywhere takes place. So that's only 40 minutes from where I live. So I said, oh my gosh, what is this great author that's literally grew up in my backyard? Um, I wanted to read her first book. And that book as well, it just is told from multiple perspectives of Lydia's family. And you can see, you know, the way the father interpreted this interaction that the son also had. And you can see both sides of the story. I find that fascinating. Um, so I loved different perspectives, not only in the family drama, but also like different points of view. Any story with a different point of view is good, but within the same close group, I think is really, really cool. Okay. We will keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> so you said you've read like 18 books. Yeah. <laughs> what have some of your favorites been? I think this year I've already read 45 books this year. Some of the favorites, obviously both Everything I Never Told You and Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I've read two of the three Crazy Rich Asian books by Kevin Kwan. Yeah. I really like those books as well. Same thing, like the you know big family drama um, and lots of characters, which is overwhelming a little at first, but it ends up becoming really manageable and told from multiple perspectives as well, which I love. Pachinko. I uh -huh. absolutely adored Pachinko. Uh -huh. I almost switched it out as one of my like three books I love, but uh, decided to stay with my, my original choice. But I like that you worked it in there anyway, though. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> it's a close fourth. I absolutely loved that book. And even though it's, it, I think it's about 500 pages, I did not want that book to end. Like I got to the end and I was so sad because I was like, I just want to read Pachinko forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I mean, I'm laughing because I, that was a joyful laugh. As, as readers, we love it when a book does that. Oh my gosh, I know. It's, it was so beautifully,
beautifully written. Minjin Lee does just an amazing job with that book. And it's told over multiple generations, which before that book, I'd never really read a book that was a family saga told over multiple, multiple generations. I think it's four generations of this Korean family living in Japanese occupied Korea. And then part of it is in Osaka, Japan. As a Japanese person reading that, it was hard to read because, you know, in that time where Japanese people were trying to oh, occupy other parts of, of yeah. uh, Asia, it's yeah. definitely not a very good part of our history. But I thought it was really an, an important read. And I was still so gripped by this family and this story that even though I relate to the Japanese people because I'm part Japanese, I just felt so, so much for this Korean family and just absolutely love the storyline. So definitely would love and recommend that. I also uh, listened to the audiobook for So Much I Want to Tell You by Anna Akana. Oh, I don't know this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Tell me about it. Yeah. Anna Akana is, she's a YouTube star. I'm not on YouTube too much, but um, my sister recommended this book to me because Anna Akana is biracial. She's half Japanese and half a white like I am. So she talks about being biracial and trying to be the balance of, you know, having the Japanese ties, but also not being fully white and not fully Asian, which I feel a lot. It's, it's a lot of people don't realize that being biracial can, can be a real big struggle because you'd feel like you don't fit in either camp. And she talks about that a lot. But the premise of the book, it's mainly a memoir, but they're letters to her sister who actually committed suicide, which is horrible. I couldn't imagine that. But um, she talks about her experience about when her sister passed away and she turns to comedy, actually. She she was very depressed. And the only way she could lift her spirits was by doing stand-up comedy and then ended up doing comedic YouTube videos. And that's kind of how she had her fame. So she really talks to her sister in these forms of letters of, you know, if we, you were still here and you would see my life and how I've grown and my advice to you as your older sister about how, how you're growing up, this is what I would tell you. Um, so that's where the title so much I want to tell you. I think it's the subtitle is letters to my, my little sister. It was super interesting and an audiobook was read by her and I, w- I just could relate so much to it. And I, you could really tell the tone and the voice that she gave to that story because it was spoken by her, which I thought was really fascinating as well. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Did you like it on audio or with the difficult subject matter? Was that painful? Honestly, I was kind of worried about that, but it added to the weight. Uh, you could definitely tell for certain pieces that, you know, there are times she got kind of choked up and I was able to really connect with her because it was like she was sitting right in front of me, kind of telling me about her experience and parts of it were kind of difficult, but I feel like I wouldn't have connected as much with the story if I was just reading it on paper. Yeah. Especially when she's telling such an intimate story. Just because I have a younger sister as well, and I'm very close to her. So I just, I could not imagine putting myself in that position. But the fact that she pulled herself out of it and made it a positive experience in such a big part of her career, I thought was, you know, really heartwarming. Sachi, you said that you had read 45 books so far this year. Yeah. And you kind (laughs) of laughed like you didn't quite believe it. So is that a big change for you? Is this year a different reading year? Last year, I definitely got more focused on trying to read more and like focusing a lot of my free time on reading. Last year, I read 55 books total throughout the year. And my backlist has just gotten so large <laughs> that I said, you know, I could probably do more than 55. And I, right now I'm getting my master's. So this semester, I only have one class. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to jam as many books as I can while I only have one class this semester. And it's just kind of spiraled out of, not out of control. I'm very happy 
that I've read yeah, these yeah, books. Yeah. But it is a, it is a really big change for me, focusing more time on it. But it's been wonderful. I've just read so many great books. I have a library where I put all my finished books. So my unfinished bookshelf was very large and gives me a little bit of anxiety, but it motivates me to when I finish a book, I can put it on my finished library bookshelf and be happy that I can cross another book off my backlist. I have a question about your bookshelves because you sent me a picture of them. I did. <laughs> That's not like a store because they look amazing. Nope. That is my bookshelf. <laughs> They're the alpha shelves from the container store. They're six shelves high and eight feet long. So I have plenty of room to finish more books and add them on onto the shelf. It looks from the picture that you have given the books you've really enjoyed, special. Yes, a front facing, yeah. Some of my absolute favorite titles, since since I had so much space, I was like, okay, I want to feature some of my favorite books. So um, a lot of my absolute favorite titles are front facing versus the ones that you can just see the spine. I'm going to go back and look at that picture extra hard now knowing what I know. There's some ones that we've already talked about, like like Pachinko and Everything I Never Told You and Little Fires. They mm-hmm. all are front facings, mm-hmm. but some other great, great books that I have on there that are front facing that I love and cherish. <laughs> okay. If we could find a book for you today that ends up being front facing, I would be over the moon. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Sachi, like clearly you're delighted with where you are in your reading life. And it sounds like What you've done is accumulated a whole list of titles and maybe actual stacks of books that you're really excited to read. Mm -hmm. And that's propelling you forward. Is that right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So how are you finding these books you want to read? And I would love to hear specifically, like, is there a giant teetering stack by your bed or is there a list on your phone or a well-stocked Kindle? How are you making this happen? Both. Um, a collection <laughs> a collection of all of the above. So as far as recommendations go, I, I think I listen to eight book podcasts <laughs> where I get recommendations. Uh, what are some of your other favorites? This is the first book podcast I found and I've been listening to for the longest time. Thank I you. absolutely love the concept of the three books you love and one book you hate and getting three recommendations. I find that super interesting. And it's, it's great because if you relate to one of the guests, you can take recommendations from the books that they love, the books that you recommend, and you can get like a whole good list of books just from each episode. So I find that super, super helpful. I also love the Reading Women podcast. And I know you recently interviewed them and that episode's dropping soon. So I'm very excited for that. My best friend, Sarah, and I, we pair read a lot. It's kind of nerdy, but we do a bookish activity every month. (laughs) And this month we decided to do the blind date with the book from the Reading Women podcast website. And so they sent us a book that we could pair read together, which is super exciting. So that's a physical book on my um, to be read shelf. They gave us The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. It had already been on my TBR. So I was like, oh, great. I get to, I get to knock off that and uh, read a book with my with my best friend. Oh, that's so fun. That was great. And then I also listened to uh, all the books from Book Riot so Uh I can stay abreast on all of the recent uh, weekly updates. That one's great, but it's also kind of hard because I'm like, oh my gosh, these books are brand new and it's hard to get my hands on them from the library and Mm -hmm. like all these different things. So it's bittersweet a little bit sometimes listening to those books and being like, oh, it's going to be a little while until I get that book. Last year, I think it was uh, Book Riot, they were doing the recommended podcast where they had authors on recommending 
finding different uh, favorite titles. That was a really cool podcast as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things out there. And I look at just general lists, you know, when it comes to like award winning lists that come out, like the short list and long list for those books. I kind of look, look those up and put them on my TBR. My physical copies, I have an entire bookshelf pretty much full of physical books. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's I got them from a library sale or half price books or I get them as gifts, they, they accumulate on that bookshelf. And then on my nightstand in my bedroom, I have like the, the physical books I'm reading right now. And then I, th- I think I have about 200 Kindle books that I haven't read on my Kindle. Modern Mrs. Darcy like deals list. That is really awesome. But also <laughs> I have so many just books. But it's great because I, I always have a lot of things to choose from. And I'm very much a, a mood reader. So it's great to have so many different options because after I finish a book and if it's like a heavier book, I'll want to move to a lighter book. Or if I do a mm-hmm. really long contemporary fiction, maybe I want to go to like a shorter nonfiction mm-hmm. or something like that. So having a lot of options to choose from, in addition to my library holds, that's a whole nother story. But <laughs> having a lot of options is really good for me and yeah. leaves a lot of um, openness to, to really finish a lot of books. I feel like that's a big reason why I've had 45 books that I've already read because I just have so many to choose from, which is which is a good problem to have. So yes, it is. Okay. It seems kind of silly like to pile on, but you want to do it? (laughs) Pile them on. That's fine with me. (laughs) All right. Well, I can't wait to hear about your favorites. In addition to Pachinko, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will add to your giant pile. Great. Let's start with your favorites. What's the first book you love? The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Mm-hmm. I love the World War II genre. My father was in the military. That's how him and my mother met in Japan. And he was just a big World War II enthusiast. And that kind of got passed down to me. And I followed a little bit in his footsteps. The Book Thief is you know, one of the first books that really made me fall in love with the World War II genre. I think I read this in high school. It centers around a nine-year-old German girl, which I found really interesting because I feel like a lot of World War II stories, whether it's film or TV series or even books, they usually focus around adults. And so I thought that having this book center around this German girl named Liesel was a really good perspective or different perspective and shows how, you know, wartime kind of changes her life as she grows up under the care of her new foster parents. And I'll leave it at that because I don't want to give it away. It's a long, beautiful book. There's a lot that happens and uh, I'll I'll leave it spoiler free. But I still I read this back many moons ago and I still think about it so often. I recommend it to so many people. It's just one of the few books that's made such a lasting impression on me and one of the only books that has made me cry. I'm not a big crier, but I bald at the end of that book. (laughs) Uh, It made such an emotional impression on me. And that's how I knew that it was really, really special. So that's the the book thief by Marcus Zusak. Do you know that he has a new book coming out? Yes. It's been more than a decade. (laughs) Pre-order already. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very excited for that. And I've just been really, really meaning to reread the book thief, but I just haven't gotten around to it. It is fairly long and I just have so many backlist titles Uh that I need to read, but I really want to read it soon, especially before his new book comes out. Yeah. Well, you have between now and October 9th. Yes. (laughs) Plenty of time. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard the words multi-generational and Mm -hmm. sweeping family saga thrown around. Uh, yes. and, and that sounds up your alley. Oh yeah. That's perfect for me. <laughs> All right. What's another book you love? 
And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. As I said before, I love mysteries and my sister and I grew up really loving anything mystery. (laughs) This is a little bit of a side story, but when email was first coming around, you know, back in the day, my sister and I, we had a shared email account. My parents were like, you don't need two accounts. You can share this one account. (laughs) So the only thing that we could agree on was our initials. So Sachi and Keiko. So we had SK mystery solvers. (laughs) (laughs) We played a lot of like the Nancy Drew PC games growing up, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and all those. And uh, Agatha Christie is just such classic, great whodunit murder type mysteries. So this one was my favorite growing up that I read this book, I think in middle school at like peak mystery time. (laughs) I think it was required reading. And I just remember my middle school mind just being blown after I read this book. Honestly, I put it down because it made such a great impression on me, but I hadn't read it in ages. And it's fairly short. It's like just over, I think like 250 pages. Mm -hmm. So I read it this week just to be brushed up. And I thought for sure I would read it and be like, oh yeah, I totally remember. Oh, it's coming back to me and I'll figure out the ending. I could not remember <laughs> anything. I read the the ending and I was like, oh my goodness, like what an awesome book. What an awesome ending. And she's just the best for a reason. She just writes so many great classic mysteries. So now I have a ton of, of her books uh, on my backlist again, just trying to read some of her other um, mysteries. Okay. So for Christy, I've read this and I've read Murder on the Orient Express I read that one last year. (laughs) But I haven't read any other ones. I'm not sure where to go next because she has so many. What else do you recommend? To be honest, those are the only two I've actually read myself. I've heard really good things about the Miss Marple series that Uh she has. I think there's like 20 something books in that series. So I have that the first book on my on my TBR. I've heard the murder of Roger Ackroyd is really good as Mm -hmm. well. I need to dive a little deeper and do a little more research on her because there's so many books out there. But definitely trying to make it more of a priority to read some more of those this year since I liked uh and then there were none in Murder on the Orient Express so much. You and me both. Sachi, what rounds out your favorites list? My last book is Little Fires Everywhere by uh-huh. Celeste. So we've talked about that a little bit already. I decided to go with this book just because it's immediately already kind of become one of my all-time favorites. Celeste Ng is probably one of my favorite authors now. And I started following her on Twitter and she's just hilarious. <laughs> she talks about her um, her son a lot and like their adventures and posts a lot just about different Asian American issues and all these different things that I really, really enjoy. So she's just immediately just become one one of my favorite authors in general, but I really loved this book. And like I said before, it's one of the first books that I read by an Asian American author. And it really centers around Chinese American baby. There's like a dispute on an adoption case. And the story is told from these different perspectives within these two families. And it centers around this adoption, how parts of each family get put into the two different camps, whether it's for this adoption or or against it. I thought that was really, really interesting and something that I'd never really heard of anything before. I read a uh, a recent collection of poems called uh, Not My White Savior by Julaine Lee. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a Korean uh, woman who was adopted by a family, I think, in... Oregon or Minnesota or something. And she talks about, you know, the struggle of, you know, being an Asian baby or person that was adopted by a white family at the time and just how that relationship works in such like a Midwestern type area that's predominantly white. Reading that book recently really brought me back to a lot of the themes from Little Fires Everywhere, which 
makes me think like it was just so genuine to that storyline and that experience that I was really thankful that I read that book and had another collection of poems that really highlighted that issue and experience that I had never heard of before. Yeah, that sounds like a really great pairing. I might not have foreseen that you would have hated this next one. So tell me about it. Okay. My one book that I hate, It's All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. I really, really, really wanted to like this book. I thought this book would be perfect for me. So on paper, it was great. I was a World War II historical fiction, female protagonist. There's like an interesting mystery jewel subplot. So I was like, ooh, it's got some mystery, some World War II historical fiction. It's going to be great. And it was a, a Pulitzer Prize winner and loved by so, so many. There's been so many people even on this podcast that say, usually this book is one of the books that people love. So I thought, oh, for sure, like this is going to be slam dunk. It's a long book. So I'll get to really wrap myself up in the text. Unfortunately, it was just not for me. <laughs> for the record, a nice dissension is is what keeps things interesting when it comes yes. to book talk. I acknowledge that this book is absolutely beautifully written. I definitely think from just a literary perspective, it is a very, very well written and constructed book. It just really wasn't for me. So the story is mainly told from three points of view, um, Marie-Laure LeBlanc, Werner Fenning, and Sergeant Major Von Rompel. And usually I love stories written from multiple POVs, like I've said, but I really need characters I can root for, especially when the book is over 500 pages. This is a long, long book. <laughs> I only really connected with Marie-Laure's character. You know, I felt like her character was really dynamic and I was really interested in where her storyline would go. For example, she's a girl who loves to read and explore explore her city, but she's slowly going blind. That's something that's like really immediately established at the beginning of the book. Mind you, going blind when your country is being occupied by Nazi Germany would be terrifying enough uh, for a small child. I think if this book was just told from her perspective, I would have liked it better. Yeah. <laughs> the other two characters, Warner, he's a young German boy. In my opinion, I just thought that his storyline was really predictable. I could kind of see exactly where that arc was going. Mm -hmm. And so every time we got there, I wasn't really invested in that storyline or interested in, in his perspective just because I could kind of tell where it was going. For Von Rompel, he just seemed like a caricature of an evil Nazi officer to me. I dreaded his chapters. So <laughs> that's I was not good. Like, oh no, Von Rompel again. <laughs> like, I don't want to read this part. The I would get really excited when we got to Marie Laura's pieces mm -hmm. and the other pieces. I'm like, oh, okay. So now we're going to flip back to the other characters. Um, I'll read it, but I'm not super invested in it. And I think that's just why it didn't work for me. Well, that's good to be able to articulate. What are you reading now? Okay. So um, what I'm reading now, usually I have like three different books going at a time. I'll have a physical book that I usually read at home in the evenings after work. Um, one Kindle book that I'll read when I'm like on the go, either like waiting in line at the grocery store or eating lunch at my desk or something at work. Just out about in general. And then I have an audiobook that I usually listen to while I'm commuting. So I have about a 20 minute commute each way. So I get about 40 minutes of, of audio time, which is great. So the physical book I'm reading right now is Circe by Madeline Miller. I picked that up last night. That's really funny. Oh, good. Oh yeah. I like it so far. It's my uh, book of the month pick for this month. This is also another book I'm pair reading with my friend, Sarah, but I'm about hundred pages in, which I think is about a third of the book. I don't know a lot about Greek mythology. So when I first started the book, 
book, the amount of characters and like their storylines that are probably common knowledge for a lot of people. Those those were very new to me. Mm -hmm. So it's a little daunting, but it is really interesting so far. And I'm really interested to see where the rest of the two thirds of the book, uh, how they go. On my Kindle, I just started A Kind of Freedom by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. Uh I'm only like 10% in this book. So I've just heard so many good things about this book last year. So I'm excited to get into it. I put it on pause because I got Uncommon Types by Tom Hanks in the Libby app. Uh, so I have this rule that, you know, if a, if a library book comes in either from Libby or a physical book at, at the main library, I put whatever book that I have in that category on hold um, just because I'm on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> I usually try to focus on books written by women or people of color, but I really wanted to read this book because I love Tom Hanks. <laughs> like I said before, the World War II genre is one of my favorites and Saving Private Ryan is probably my favorite movie of all time. And his performance is a large part of that. So I'm only two stories in, but I like it so far. It's it's okay. I'm really interested to see like all of the stories are connected by like a typewriter. Yeah. It's been interesting to see like how he weaves that into each story. Have you listened to the podcast episode where he totally nerds out about his love for typewriters? Oh my gosh, no. It's the Nerdette podcast. And I've only listened to one episode of it. Although like that is the best name for a podcast ever. Oh yes. <laughs> and I think it's called something like a love story, Tom Hanks and his typewriter. <laughs> but they start talking about typewriters and why they're amazing. And Tom Hanks is like, oh, I have this model and that model and here. So you clean it and you got to change the ribbon and blah, 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 blah. And this is why they're ama- It's just, it's really fun. I definitely need to check that out. <laughs> After you finished Uncommon Type. That'll be good. My last thing I'm reading right now, or I guess listening, uh, it's an audiobook. I'm listening to uh, The Girl That Drank the Moon by yeah. Kelly Barnhill. And I think I heard about this book on this podcast. From a guest who didn't like it. Uh, maybe. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think this has been on as a love, and I'm certain it's been on is uh, unloved. And just in general, I've heard from so many different sources that there are some great middle grade novels out there. And so I just wanted to kind of try, give one a try. And so I, I saw that this won the Newbery Award, I think. Um, I don't remember correctly, but it, it won some type of I award. And I was, I was like, okay, I'll give this book a try. I'm just over halfway through the audiobook, and I really like it. I'm surprised to hear that other people didn't really like it, but I really love it so far. Like the world building that Kelly Barnhill, you know, has created, I just feel like this world is so immersive and interesting. This little baby receiving her magic by drinking moonlight, like that is the coolest thing to me. I just thought that was so interesting. Like, uh, you know, when it comes to fantasy and magic, a lot of the characters, I guess, are just innately born with magic. She gets it in such a tangible way. I just thought that was super fascinating. I also really got attached to the characters really early. So I like it so far. So the thing you want to be different in your reading life, is, is it what I think it is? Just want to read more books relate to Asian American life and culture and issues and just reading more books by Asian authors, particularly Japanese authors since some Japanese or female authors or even a combination of both would be great. Honestly, I've just made it a goal to read more females of color in general. So I'm mm-hmm. definitely open to those suggestions as well. But mm-hmm. if we could get some recommendations on book about Asian cultures, that would be great because I've just really liked the books I've read so far about those experiences. I am really excited about what I have in mind for you. Me too. <laughs> Especially because there is some really great stuff coming out this summer. I really want to put on your radar, but I know we won't play that game where I say, have you read this one? And you go, oh yes, it was amazing. (laughs) Have you read this one? (laughs) Oh yes, it was amazing. There's so much good stuff coming out. Are you ready to get into it? I am so excited. I'm very ready. Well, clearly you've been on a journey with your reading life recently. It sounds like you have a really clear idea about what you like 
what you especially want to seek out. So you've mentioned the female protagonists. You love stories that have a good mystery, even if they wouldn't be on that spot in the shelf. Like Little Fires Everywhere is a great example or Everything I Never Told You. Yeah, we're looking for books that illuminate Asian culture and the Asian American experience. You've got options. Yes, I'm glad. (laughs) Okay, so your sister's name is Keiko? K-E-I-K-O. It means blessed child in Japanese. My name, Sachi, means happiness in Japanese. Oh, what a lovely sister pairing for names. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) Well, I have a book about another Keiko to recommend to you. Ooh, yay. This has a publication date of June 12th. It's called Convenience Store Woman. It's by Sayaka Murata. She's a Japanese author uh, living in Japan. This is not her first novel by a long shot, but this is her English novel debut. And I believe the first book she's written that's been readily available in the United States. This is quirky. This is on my wish list, actually. Is it really? (laughs) Yes, I've heard about this book. It's interesting. It's fun. It's short. It's little. It's a adorable. I love the cover too. The cover is adorable. And you probably know more about this than I do because I've never been to Japan. Yeah, convenience. Yes. They're a huge part of Japanese culture. In Japanese, the word for convenience store is called konvini, which is just pretty much a shortening of convenience. And it's really funny that name convenience stores in Japan are 7-Eleven, so probably something we've heard of, and uh, Family Mart are the two like big giants. To us, when we think going to 7-Eleven, it's just like, oh, you're on a road trip and the 7-Eleven is the only thing available. But in Japan, convenience stores, they're much more prevalent and they're used for so many different things. So as an example, when we were in Japan, um, a lot of the easiest ways to exchange or get yen from our bank accounts was not to go to the bank, it was to go to 7-Eleven. A lot of places like uh, street food and stuff like that only take cash or yen and we would run out and we'd just say, oh, we'll just go to 7-Eleven and we'll get more money. Um, So so they have that. You can like, if you go to like Universal Studios or Disney or whatever, a lot of the times you can buy your tickets at the convenience 7-Eleven or Family Mart. Instead of waiting in line in the really, really long line at the park, you can just get them in advance. You can also get really, really great food for cheap at the convenience, which sounds really strange. If you think of, you know, getting a full meal at 7-Eleven, you're just like, ooh, kind of like gas station food. But in Japan, everything at the convenience is prepared fresh every morning. And so they have have all kinds of different things like rice bowls, full things of sushi. It's like Starbucks in New York. There are like on every block. You would see like businessmen getting their their morning meal before they go on the train at the conveni. So it's a huge part of Japanese culture and just something that when you go over there, you have to stop in a conveni. You, you'll probably be stopping there multiple times, but it's something that is just so central to their culture. So convenience store woman is about Keiko who works in this convenience store. So I was imagining and getting oriented and Googling some photos to visualize the world that Keiko was working in, but you've got it. You already know all that. (laughs) I'm already there. (laughs) Yeah. Keiko has always been an unusual child. Like when she was young, And as she became a teenager, her parents worried about how she would get along in the real world and if she would find her place and if she'd be okay out on her own. So when she's 18, she gets a job in this convenience store while she's in university and they're like, oh, she's going to be great. She made it. You know, she has a job all as well. She like if she wants to act normal or say the right Mm -hmm. thing, she just does what her coworkers do because those social niceties and nuances do not come naturally to her at all. But she can copy what other people do. Blending in in Japanese culture is like essential. They're very a collective society. 
society. So blending in is usually like the main priority for a lot of Japanese people when it comes to social interactions. Yes. And this little book has some wry commentary on why (laughs) that is. And is it really important? And what does it really mean to be a quote unquote functioning grown up in society? Because Keiko got this job and her parents were like, oh, it's fine. But 18 years later, when she's 36, she's still working in this job Mm -hmm. and she still really enjoys it. And it still fills her needs for work and life. And, you know, she likes being part of people's daily routines and she really prides herself on keeping the store. I'm thinking of what you said earlier of keeping the store neat and orderly and Mm -hmm. like sparkling clean. She doesn't understand why people seem to be pushing her to look for more because she likes where she is. It's a really unusual book. I've never read anything quite like it. It's fun. It's interesting. You have this personal connection to the place. How does that sound? I'm very excited. I mean, it was already on your list. Yeah, that's true. But now it's just going to skyrocket to the top once it comes out in June. Okay, excellent. I'm excited for you to read that. I have a very different book to follow that up with. And it's another book that comes out this summer. It comes out July 10th. It's called What We Were Promised by Lucy Tan. Is this a book you know anything about? No. Oh, fun. Yay. Compared to Convenience Store Woman, which is quirky and wry and like quietly humorous, mm-hmm. this one has a more uh, serious tone with people trying to figure out the important things of their lives. First of all, Lucy Tan grew up in New Jersey. She spent mm-hmm. a lot of her adult life going back and forth between New York and Shanghai. I think she went to NYU, but she also spent time in the Midwest in Madison getting her MFA. So I like that for you as a nice touch. So this is a book about a young couple that meets and marries Mm -hmm. in their small Chinese village, Wei and Lena. Wei is brilliant. He gets a scholarship to Penn. They move to the United States together. They get married way ahead of schedule when he gets this opportunity because then she can go with him. What he's given and what she's given and his wife are just, it's too good to pass down for opportunity and um, for financial reasons. After he graduates, he gets this really great job in Shanghai and they move back into the expat community and feel feel like they don't really belong even though they've moved home. So they live this really interesting lifestyle that is totally real because I was like, is this really not? I mean, is this, is she making this up? I mean, it is a novel, but she's not making it up. So they're living this opulent lifestyle with a bunch of, there's questions about whether they're truly Chinese because Mm. of the like coddled way they're living where money makes everything happen. The wife who was intelligent and driven in her own right has now become, they have a special word for it in Chinese, which is basically Mm. um, a housewife who spends money all day. And she feels kind of like, oh, how great that I can do that. And kind of like, is this really all I'm doing with my life? So when the novel opens, there's some tension about like, where are they in the world? And are they really living the life they want. And they have a daughter who's a teenager who spends most of the year in American boarding school because they thought that would be better for her and they can afford it. So why not? And at the very beginning of the story, you find out that Wei's brother will be coming back for a visit. And this is a big deal but you don't know why. So (laughs) as the novel goes on, you find out that there is a lot of history between these three people. And then it goes deeper and you find out that these families have a bond very few people know about. So you find out there are just layers and layers of secrets and things that complicate their relationships. On top of that, there's things going on in their household with a few other characters that are fun 
in a nice contrast, going through their own issues and their own personal, what am I doing with my life and what do I want out of it crises. So this is a serious novel. Like people are dealing with serious issues in a way that's, I mean, occasionally funny, but mostly like this is serious stuff going on. Is it like, uh, is it like everything I never told you kind of serious? Like maybe very slight humor, but something very tragic or very intense happened to their family. So a lot of the book really reflects that. Yes. Okay. But nobody dies. This is emotional drama. After I probably like the 50 page mark, I was like, okay, I need to know what happens to these people. I'm worried about them. What's going on? Should she, should she be doing this? Should she be doing that? I'm not sure what to want in this situation. And I really like when a story can suck me in like that in the way that Tan plays the two different storylines against each other, where you have each set of characters observing and making assumptions about what's going Mm -hmm. on and the other, like that added a really fun touch. And I really, really love one of the relational touches at the end. I really like the way that she just has these details that are so perfect and that say so much about the characters in so few words, just a couple quick, quick scenes at the end made me feel really good about the way she closed out her story. So I'm a little afraid because you didn't enjoy All the Light We Cannot See, which I feel like has the same tone, but I think you're gonna watch these characters and get kind of sucked in and want to know what's going to happen to them? Like, are they going to be okay? And I also think the setting, um, it's set against the backdrop of this big, highly unusual, super special festival happening in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really fun for you. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I feel like I didn't mind the tone of All the Light We Cannot See. I just really can connect to the characters. So if the tone in this book is similar, but if this characters really suck me in and like you said, the setting is really great, I definitely think I could get get into this book. It sounds super interesting. Yes. And at the beginning, they seemed especially Wei and Lena. Well, especially Lena just seems super shallow to me. I'm like, do I do I care about this lady? <laughs> I did. I cared about this lady, but just just give her give her a little bit. Okay. I'll give her some time. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. And then if you haven't found it yet, I would really like you to find A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Do you know this one? A Tale for the Time Being? I don't think I've heard this one. Okay. This book is weird. It's really (laughs) weird. It came out more than three years, less than eight ago. Okay. It was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. So Ruth Ozeki, most of her work is semi-autobiographical. She is both American and Canadian. She has dual citizenship, and that's a recurring theme in her work. You often see mixed race identity in her work. And like the line between fact and fiction is really tenuous in her story. That's really interesting. I did some Googling while I was reading because I noticed that her main character is a novelist and her name is Ruth. Oh, so very on the nose. Yes, yes, yes. And she keeps talking to Oliver, her husband that she loves, who's going through stuff. And I was like, there's no way her husband's name is really Oliver. Her husband's name is really Oliver. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So this is a novel, but she really does like to uh, walk that line. So here's the setup. And this is a really great premise. There was a very real devastating tsunami in Japan in 2011. So that's her factual event that she's spinning off from. Ruth, our novelist, who might be suffering a bit of writer's block, she's on the Pacific coast in a small town trying to get some work done. She's working a memoir, if I remember correctly. She likes to walk on the beach. Rumor that this debris that's been washing up recently on the coast where they are is possibly from that tsunami. And it's just taken Mm. this long, which would be years, to wash up on the shore. She's not as surprised 
as she might be when she finds a package containing a Hello Kitty lunchbox that has kept <laughs> this diary inside safe. Oh. She starts reading it and she discovers it belongs to this troubled Japanese schoolgirl who's thinking about, she calls it dropping out of time, which is the way she refers to um, possibly ending her life. Mm. So at the very beginning of the book, Ruth Ozeki introduces this, I think through her character's eyes by saying like, what is a time being? Like a time being is a person who is in time. In a sense, the way she talks about time reminded me of Alan Lightman's Einstein's Dreams. Is that a book that you're familiar with at all? No. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. It's a fun one. It's weird. Fictional. Ugh. Lightman imagines a couple dozen dreams, totally fictional. He makes them up that Einstein had about how time works while he was working on his theory of relativity. But if you're looking for something offbeat, quirky, palate cleanser, short, weird, creativity, inspiring, it's a good one. Okay. So back to Ruth Ozeki. So she really plays around with the idea of time and how we make it and how we change it, and how we enter it, and how we may drop out of it. Ruth starts reading her diary, and she thinks, oh my goodness, this is a real person who needs my help. How am I going to help her? And she starts reaching out to people she knows, like the girl's family lived in California for a while. So she reaches out to Mm -hmm. people at the school where her father taught. And she notices as she starts taking these actions, the diary itself changes. Like what Ruth is doing is changing the girl's outcome. It's almost oh. like a time travel thing, but nobody's traveling through time. So oh. this is a brain bender and it is strange. And this Japanese girl, she's not in a good place. And sometimes it's hard to read about and it's sad and it can be gritty. But did I just tell you Convenience Store Woman was unlike anything I've ever read? This is also unlike <laughs> anything I've ever read. I'm, and I'm not overstating that on either one of those. It's really interesting what she does. I can't believe it works. You like mysteries, This isn't that kind. Well, you know, there is that element where Ruth's trying to figure out what is happening with this girl and how can she help her? But the book itself is its own kind of mystery. How does that sound to you? That sounds really interesting. I'm very intrigued that there's this Japanese character that is reflected through the diary. I think that's really interesting. I've always thought like the concept of like a message in the bottle is just really interesting. Like someone had a thought, you know, throw it into the ocean in in the hopes that someone else would receive it. I think it is a little really out there, but I feel like that is a really interesting premise that if it really weaves into itself, I think that's something that would really keep me turning the pages to try to understand what's really going on. Ooh, and did I say that the teenager lives in Tokyo? <gasps> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot of Tokyo action. Of those books, what do you think you'll read next? What do you want to read next since two of them are not out yet? Out of the three, I definitely think that I'm most interested in reading Convenience Store Women, even though it doesn't come out so June. I will definitely pick that up the day it comes out just because I was already really excited for it, but just by hearing more. And the fact that the character's name is Keiko, I feel like that I never see either of our names really pop up in any type of like movie or fiction or whatever. So reading it, I'll be kind of a little disoriented being like, oh, Keiko, her name pops up every second. That's my (laughs) sister. I really do think that that premise is super interesting. My background knowledge just on convenience stores, but also like the type of cultural or social pressures that a lot of Japanese people go through. I feel like I would be really, really engrossed and interested in how Keiko's life progresses, knowing those different cultural pieces. So I'm definitely looking the most forward to that one. But in the meantime, I might read a tale for the time being. It sounds really interesting. (laughs) I don't read too many sci-fi and fantasy, but I do like books with different types of like time elements and like the butterfly effect, doing one thing could affect a different thing in the future and all the different paths you can take. And that definitely seems like a theme of this book, which I find 
really interesting. I mean, you know what I'm going to say. I can't wait to hear what you think if you pick it up. If it makes a difference, this is the man booker title. So not shelved to sci-fi, although it's, I mean, weird stuff happens. But yeah, I, I wouldn't describe it as science fiction, even though I'm not sure I could argue why. So I hope that makes a difference. Okay. Can I give you like three two-line plugs for a couple other titles? Please. Okay. Do you know Ursula Under? No. I like this for you when you said that you really liked books that tell the same story from different perspectives. Oh, yeah. This one has a narrative style that's really similar to everything I've never told you. There's like this omniscient voice that knows everything that happens and like tells you the really interesting connections between the characters that they themselves are not aware of. Kirkus Reviews called this wildly uneven and awesomely (laughs) ambitious. Oh, okay. And I do think it drags a little in places, but all in all, this is a really cool story about a little girl who falls into a well. That's our reason to go way big picture, zoom out and look at the history of her life, her parents' lives, their families' lives. I mean, we go back generations. We go back centuries to like 8th century Finland, 17th century Sweden. We go to California, like around the gold rush time. We go around the world tracking down how this girl came to be in this place in Michigan, in this well, on this day in 2003. And I really like her family. There's so much culture and history in the book that combined with the different perspectives and the narrative style, even though it drags in places, it's just really the kind of story that I think has a lot of what you enjoy. Great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay. So I'm wondering about Rainbirds by Clarissa Gonawan. I have read this one. It's great. It's set in Tokyo as well. Yes. And it's by an author who is in Singapore now, was born in Indonesia. And the girl that dies, her name is Keiko. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So that was one of the first books, like she wasn't a main character. So like her name only popped up occasionally, but every time there was like a sentence, like Keiko loved to do this, I would send a picture to my sister and be like, Hey, did you know you like to do this? (laughs) She's like, what is this book you're reading with my name in it? And I'm like, Oh, it's this awesome book about set in Tokyo. I really enjoyed that book as well. It was really marketed as like this big mystery and it is a mystery. My brother is trying to understand what happened to his sister, but to me, it's not like a normal traditional, like American mystery where it's like twists and turns and it goes so fast and you never know what's really going to happen. It's definitely more of a Japanese feel of a mystery. I've read um, a couple months ago, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Mm -hmm. And that one similarly is just a lot of it is very slow build mystery. And there's a lot of like layering and character building that goes on. And if you read Japanese manga or watch Japanese anime, a lot of it is like that. There's a lot of really, really long character arcs. And there is a lot of like build up to these big, you know, climaxes. And I felt like this book more fell in that realm. So like, if I guess if you're lo- looking for really fast mystery, Rainbirds might not be for you. But if you really like a slower type mystery burn with um, a- an interesting payout, I would recommend this book. But I did, I did really enjoy it. And the last one I want to mention is Echo by Pam Munoz-Ryan. Mm, I'd never heard of this one. I was thinking about it for you because you loved the World War II stories. But Hmm. since you were listening to The Girl Who Drank the Moon, that especially made me wonder about this for you. So it's a middle grade novel, which it sounds like you're open to. Lots of people call this the very best audiobook they have ever listened to. So there's a lot of music in the story and there's music in the narration. There's a fairy tale that's set up in the book's very first section. And then one by one, you get to know three very real, like totally straightforward narrative 
no fairy magic, anything. So three children, all in different parts of the world in 1933, 1935, and 1942 in California and the Northeast somewhere, United States and Germany. And all these kids are impacted by this harmonica that links them, but also by the wars. So these kids are in three different places. Like in 1933, Germany, Friedrich, his family are trying to get out while they still can. In 1942, California, this young girl and her family have moved to the home of a Japanese family to keep their farm safe for them while they are in the internment camp. And to see that experience through a child's eyes and the way it's done is really, I mean, it's occasionally tear jerky, but really well done by the author. And she makes these things that we only read about in history books at this point, really, really personal. I think that might be for you. I'll definitely listen to it on audio. I love music. So my mother, she has her master's in uh, vocal performance and a minor in a piano. She was an opera singer for the longest time. Oh, wow. I almost became a vocal performance major as well. Ended up going into accounting. Which is really, <laughs> really different. <laughs> Anything that has storytelling woven with music, I have to do. So that's super, super interesting to me. So I will, I will pick that one up as well. Well, it sounded like you didn't need more books on your list necessarily, but hey, okay. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Sachi, this has been so fun. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to read some of these new books. Thank you for talking books with me today. And I'm excited that you're excited. Tear through them and let you know how I like them. All right, enjoy. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sachi. If you have any favorite books that sound like something Sachi would enjoy, please run to our comment section and share those titles with her there. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 133. That's 133. If you want to see what Sachi is reading, that page is also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 133. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, V as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. For something fun on social media, you can follow along with our summer reading hashtags. Those are Summer's Too Short, as in Summer's Too Short to Read Bad Books, because it totally is. And I'd Rather Be Reading, because I totally would. And I bet you would too. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast, 
Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.